welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2013 Israel and End Time Prophecy Conference. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 8th of September 2013. Here's Dr. Steve Cook. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you. And uh, it's a blessing to be back and, uh, in England. I, uh, I used to be an English teacher in, uh, in America, and that may be sort of like an oxymoron to most of you, but uh, I used to teach English, actually used to teach British literature. So can you imagine that, a hillbilly teaching British literature? <laughs> I was born in Kentucky, raised in Ohio, and educated in West Virginia, so I'm a confused Appalachian. Uh, we see y'all where I come from. Uh, two of my board members are actually... Uh, two of the board members of my organization are from North Carolina, in the Greensboro area. And, uh, and North Carolina actually is my favorite place to go. I love North Carolina, but my wife likes the beach, so we have to go to South Carolina. And, uh, but she has suffered with lupus for 29 years. And, uh, and so in the winter months, we go down there uh, to get out of the snow and the cold and... Uh, it's a little better for her. Uh, our ministry primarily is to the Jewish people worldwide. I'm a missionary to the people, to a people, not to a place. The Jews have been scattered uh, for the last 2,000 years. They've been dispersed. And so there's more Jewish people living in America than living in Israel. Just kind of give you an idea how scattered they are. And wherever I go, I find Jewish people. I'm going back to Cuba in November. It'll be my 10th trip to Cuba. We've seen over 3,000 people saved in Cuba in the last three years. Not all of them are Jewish, but a few of them have been. And um, uh, it's a blessing to find Jewish people in Cuba. I've been to Tanzania, East Africa, found Jewish people living in Tanzania. I've found uh, Jewish people living in the Philippines. Uh, matter of fact, I've been to the Philippines 12 times. And uh, do we have any Filipinos here? <laughs> My Mbuta. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, uh, the thing about the Philippines, what, which part of the Philippines are you from? Okay. I've been to, to uh, you know, the big island, Manila, of course, and uh, Cebu and Leyte and different islands. But, you know, there's, there's only about 300 Jewish people living in the Philippines. But, there are 100,000, 100,000 Filipinos living and working in Israel. So think about that. So if we can go to the Philippines and train people how to witness effectively to the Jewish people, and then they go there on a work visa, we have sent missionaries to Israel. You see, for me to go to Israel, uh, they would kick me out. They would uh, revoke a visa if I was able to obtain one because they don't allow missionaries there. And so, uh, you know, it's easier for me to witness to people in other countries than it is in Israel. But uh, we are a faith-based uh, ministry. Uh, we are supported by uh, churches like this one and others across America uh, that uh, have a heart and a mind for missions and the Jewish people. And uh, we covet your prayers and uh, I asked uh, uh, the brother back here, Robertson, 
Uh, Malcolm Robertson, uh, if you all had a missionary to the Jew, and he showed me the Society of Distribution of Hebrew Scriptures. I've actually distributed their scriptures in uh, New York City and Brighton Beach Avenue. And uh, I've actually met uh, Alec Passmore and, and, uh, and of course, uh, Jeff Marshall in Blackpool. I had dinner with him. He used to work for them. But, uh, you know, it's a wonderful. It's a small world. But, uh, you know, we're working together for the common goal of reaching souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. I have some brochures back there, some literature back there. Uh, you can take a look at those, uh, pick up one of these that tell you about our ministry. Uh, uh, you can see my lovely wife, Cozy. Uh, we've been married almost 40 years. Bless God. Uh, I, I, I tease people. I tease her all the time. I said, yeah, we would have left each other a long time ago, but neither one of us wanted to take the kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. But uh, uh, we have two lovely daughters and uh, five lovely grandchildren. And three of my grandsons, uh, ages uh, 10 and 7 and 5, have all been saved, praise God, baptized. And uh, we had two granddaughters born last year, and we're praying that they'll be saved. And so also I have some gospel literature back there, some tracts. We uh, produce these free of charge and, and offer them to churches as a witnessing tool to uh, reach out to the Jewish people. Again, thank you for being here. I'm honored, uh, Pastor, that you would have me and that your church would receive me. I've, I've got a chance to talk to some of you, and I've been blessed uh, by doing so. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles, please, to the uh, book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. 1 Timothy, chapter 4, and also 2 Timothy, and then chapter 3. Now, I'll put the scriptures on the screen for you, uh, but I still believe in opening up your King James Version Bible and and uh, looking at a hard copy. Amen? Amen. I come out of a, a very strong independent Baptist, uh, I call it a burning bush Baptist church. Amen? And we're on fire for the Lord. Mission-minded, fundamentally sound, and uh, pre-trib, pre-millennial. So that kind of gives you an idea of where I stand. And uh, if you're not pre-trib, pre-millennial, you're wrong. Amen? You need to get right with God. <laughs> First, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit express, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray you would take the message today and stir our hearts. Help us to realize the urgency of the moment in which we live. Father, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would draw them under yourself. Help them to realize that they need Jesus as their personal Savior. And I pray, Father, that those of us who are saved, that you would strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Spirit speaketh expressly that in the what latter times some shall depart from the faith. Have you ever seen any churches or individuals departing from the faith lately? Yeah, I can take you through Ohio and through North Carolina and South Carolina and all across the United States, and I can show you churches that were once sound, doctrinally sound, fundamentally minded, and uh, soul-winning churches that today have compromised with the world. I was speaking to a... Uh, a couple 
at the hotel in Barrie when I was uh, there last week. And they were asking me what I thought about this particular social item and that particular social item. And, and I gave them my honest answer. And they said, well, that's ridiculous. That's so old school. And I said, yeah. I said, I'm about as narrow-minded as that right there. You see, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He's immutable. What was sin back in the Garden of Eden is still sin today. What was right back in the Garden of Eden is still right today. What was wrong is still wrong today. God hasn't changed his position. But yet today, there are churches that are compromising just to build a crowd. What kind of crowd do you want? I can get you a crowd. What kind of crowd do you want? You want a, you want a wild crowd or you want a crowd that uh, is sincere and, and serious about the work of God? I mean, you get the right kind of music, you can have the whole church running the choir rail, snotting and snorting like a bunch of water buffalo. Amen? If you want a crowd. But if you want people who are serious about the Word of God, people who are committed to being a good soldier of the Lord Jesus, this is not a playground, this is a battleground. And we've been called to be good soldiers. Amen? But what we find in these last days is that some have departed from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. It's all right to call something that's wrong, wrong. I have no problem with that. It's better to obey God rather than man. Amen? And it's better to fear God rather than man. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come. My friend, they are here. They have arrived. When I was a child growing up, we didn't lock our doors. Our neighbors had our back. Today, you got to watch your neighbors. When I was a child growing up, we'd get on a bicycle and ride all over town. Today, you can't let your child out of your sight for fear some pervert might grab them, abduct them, and kill them. My daughter, my oldest daughter, has four children, 10 years of age and under, 10, 7, 5, and one and a half. She is a target. Every time she goes to a shopping center, gets out of her car, and walks with four children into the store and then back to her car. It scares me to death. Matter of fact, she and I took a uh, concealed weapons class together to where we can carry concealed weapons. Now, pastors from North Carolina, he understands it. Some people don't understand this. But it's dangerous when you travel like I do. I travel about 50,000 miles every year in a vehicle, plus fly all around the world. I've been in about 40 countries the last 10 years preaching the gospel. My daughter and I took a class together, but now in, in Ohio, in America, people can't hardly find bullets to put in their gun because the Department of Homeland Security is buying them up. I guess our president must think he's going to have a revolt. He might. He keeps messing around with the Second Amendment of our Constitution, which gives us the right to bear arms. I was telling that story down in South Carolina. Now, you've got to understand, Carolina is the South. Amen? Praise God. I love the South. And I told him the story. After the service, the pastor says, well, what kind of bullets do you need? And I said, well, brother, I said, I hadn't bought a gun because I, there was no sense buying a gun if I couldn't find the bullets to put in it. He said, well, what kind of gun would you like? And I said, we started talking. About six people in the church pulls out their guns and starts showing me what they were carrying. 
Why? Because we live in perilous times. A woman pulls a nine millimeter out of her purse and says, this is what I got. And she points, it's got a laser beam on it and everything else. Now, that's not the end of the story. Pastor says, well, I'll tell you what. He said, why don't tomorrow before church service, we go out and look for guns. I can get you a gun down here and put bullets in it. And I said, really? So he never did call. I was disappointed. Priest of service had closing prayer. And at the end of the service, before he closed, he said, oh, oh, by the way, Brother Steve, come up here. The church wants to give you something. And they presented me with a $450 9mm Ruger <laughs> and two boxes of bullets. Why? Because we live in perilous times. I don't want to shoot anybody. I have no desire to shoot anybody. But I want somebody to harm me and harm my family and harm. You know, I was down in South Carolina about a year and a half ago, and somebody broke into my house. My wife calls me, and she's petrified because he had only gone for an hour, and somebody broke into her house. What if my wife had walked in on that burglar? What would have happened? Been dangerous. Somebody might have got hurt. If I'd walked in, I guarantee you somebody would have got hurt because somebody was, you know, endangering my family. It's such a frightening thing. We live in perilous time. That word perilous means dangerous or hazardous. You have to lock your door and bolt your door and, 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 you know, just the hotel that I'm in. I can't hardly get out of it, let alone try to get back in it. They've got so many different locks and, and, and safety precautions. You can't even use the elevator without using your card, uh, to, your key to get into the room. We're living in dangerous times. What time is it, according to the Word of God? Well, if you want to know what time it is on God's prophetic calendar, you have to look at this little country called Israel. An hour and a half wide by car, four and a half hours long by car, 5,774 years deep in history. Interesting. Israel is amazing. They are God's timepiece. They are the focal point of all prophecy other than the Lord Jesus Christ. For thou art an holy people, the Bible says. This is speaking of the nation of Israel. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Imagine that. God chose Israel to be a special people unto himself. In chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, we find out he chosen to be a peculiar people. Now, why did God choose Israel? Some people have a controversy with that. Oh, I don't think that's fair that God would choose Israel to be his chosen special people. The answer to that question or statement, on my, in my opinion, is quite simply God didn't ask you. God is sovereign. He's the potter, we're the clay. God can do whatever he wants to do, and he doesn't have to explain himself like we think he should. But I can tell you this, whatever God does is right. It's always for our good and his glory. Amen? fact of the matter is, he chose Israel. And the Bible says not because they were more in number, but they were fewer in number. And he chose them to be his representatives. But they failed miserably to represent him the way that he wanted them to represent him. By the way, if you're a Christian today, God wants you to be his representative. How you doing? Are you doing a good job? Are you a good soldier? That's what the Bible says. 
You see, God gave us Israel's entire history in advance. By the way, that's what prophecy is, history given in advance. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 10, the Bible says, Hear the word of the Lord, all your nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will, will, what? will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. God said three things about Israel. Number one, God said, I'm going to scatter Israel. And God scattered Israel 2,000 years ago. They're still scattered as a nation. God said, I'm going to gather Israel. And we're beginning to see that take place. Ezekiel chapter 37 is the prophecy of the valley of dry bones. We're seeing that happening today. There's shaking going on in the valley of dry bones. And God says, when you're finally all regathered, then I'm going to keep you. That's a word that means to guard or garrison. It's a military term. It's the same word that Paul used when Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he, God, is able to what? To keep, to guard or garrison that which I have committed unto him against that day. Praise God. I got saved 42 years ago. 42 years ago I was saved. And I'm just as saved then as I am now. I'm just as saved now as I was then. I got all the Jesus I'm ever going to get when I got saved. I got all the Holy Spirit I'm ever going to get the moment I got saved. The question is, does he get all of me? Today I want to look at three things. I want to look at the commencement, the character, and the commandment of the last days. Let's begin by looking at the commencement. Jesus said before he went to the cross in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, and they, the Jews, Israel, shall fall by the edge of the sword of me and shall be led away captive into all the nations. Notice that, all the nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, back in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the Solomon Temple. And he took Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, took them back to Babylon. That's one nation. Jesus said that they would be delivered or should be carried away into all the nations. That happened in 70 A.D. When the Roman general Titus marched across the Scopus Mountains down the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley up the eastern side of the Temple Mount, went through the eastern gate and destroyed the Herodian temple, the second temple. From that time until today, Jews have been scattered among all the nations. They haven't had a temple. They haven't been able to sacrifice as they did in the days that Jesus was on the earth. Today, Judaism is actually different than what Judaism was like in the days of Christ. Because they don't have a priesthood. They don't have a temple. They don't have sacrifices at 9 a.m. and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Today they follow the teachings of rabbis. So we call it rabbinic Judaism. Where they make up new rules all the time. What do you do if you don't have a blood sacrifice? I asked a man in Jerusalem that one time. 
I was talking to him and I quoted something from the New Testament. He said, oh, that's the New Testament. That's a fairy tale. That's for children. I said, well, it's certainly for children, but it's not a fairy tale. I said, do you believe in the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible? He says, of course I do. I said, well, the Torah says in Leviticus chapter 17, it's the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. I said, do you believe that? He said, yes, I do. Of course. That's the law. I said, then you're telling me every Jew has died and gone to hell for the past 2,000 years because not one sacrifice has been offered. And he looked at me and didn't know what to say. I said, can I tell you the good news? The Lamb of God was slain 2,000 years ago right there on that hill called Calvary. I said, and his blood has never lost its power. It's able to save the, the, the guttermost to the uttermost, praise God. But for the past 2,000 years, the Jews have been trodden under the Gentile. And we're still living in the times of the Gentile. You know what happened in World War II? And I'm, and I'm looking over all the crusades and all of the, uh, the problems that existed in the Middle East and so forth. And, but I'm just fast-forwarding here to the 20th century, and we see what happened when Germany, under Adolf Schickelgruber, the illegitimate son of a customs inspector, changed his name to Hitler, don't blame him, my grandfather's from Berlin, by the way. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? To call a Jew in the Jewish mission. Amen. Praise the Lord. But you know what happened when the Jews were slaughtered, massacred, buried in mass grave. And you say, that doesn't even look real. It doesn't, doesn't it? It's hard to imagine how humanity could do such a thing to other human beings. Children, men, women, all slain. Six million of them. And those are just the Jews. There were millions of others who weren't Jews that were killed. Many of them were thrown into ovens and went up the smokestacks of different death camps. I met a woman in New York City named Mumsy. You want to get a Jewish person's attention? Put an Ark of the Covenant on the sidewalk of one of the most crowded cities in the world. And these Jews wanted to stop. How come you have the Ark of the Covenant out here on the sidewalk? I'm, I'm glad you asked. You'll notice she's carrying a box of uh, Society of Distribution of Hebrew Scriptures right there in both Russian and in Hebrew. And uh, I'm giving her the Word of God and also giving her the gospel and an invitation to come to a meeting that I preached on called Thank God for Israel. And she shared with me the story of her childhood, how when she was just a t young teenager, she was hauled off to uh, Birkenau and, and was taken to Auschwitz and was forced to bury the dead in those mass graves that we saw a picture of. Some people deny the Holocaust. She raised up her arm and showed me the tattoo where they branded her like an animal. My heart's broken for Mumsy. She didn't trust Jesus as her Messiah that day. And I don't know if she's even still alive. But I'd ask that you pray that she would come to know Yeshua as her Messiah. I could tell you a story about this lady named Irena Sindler who at 98 years of age passed away. And the story of her life was that she helped 2,500 Jewish children escape the ghettos of Warsaw, Poland smuggled them out because they would have been taken and, and uh, taken to the death camps and 
like uh, Tremblinka and other places and killed. I could tell you that she deserves a Nobel Prize, Peace Prize, wouldn't you agree, for her actions. And I can tell you that in 2007, she was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, but she didn't win it. The winner was uh, a man from America who was vice president for a while and then ran for president. You probably know him. He's a crusader for global warming today called Al Gore. He won it for a slideshow on global warming. I can tell you that at Yad Vashem, you would go to Israel with me. I could take you to the Holocaust Memorial. They have this children's memorial right there at the entrance. And those pillars there, different sizes, represent the 1.5 million Jewish children that were murdered in World War II. I could take you inside where they read off the names, and it takes over four months to read the names of every child that lost their life in the Holocaust. I could tell you about your British general, Edmund Allenby, how he marched into Jerusalem and took the city of Jerusalem without firing a shot from the Ottoman Turks. He was a Christian, you see, and, and, and many wanted to blow open the eastern gate, but he understood the prophecy of the eastern gate. He sent a biplane across the walls, and the, the, the pilot drops out of his airplane a rock with a note tied to the rock. In the, the Ottoman Turks, the Muslims there, the Arabs, they couldn't read English very well. One guy read, interpreted it to the commander of the Ottoman Turk army. And he read it and it said, surrender or else. And it was signed Allah Bey. Allah Bey in Arabic means son of God. It fell from the sky. They surrendered without firing a shot. That's not a coincidence. That's divine intervention. I can tell you that World War I prepared the land for the people, but it took World War II to prepare the people for the land and the Holocaust and the atrocity and being trodden down of the Gentiles as the Jewish people were, forced them to say never again, we want a homeland. No one will take us away from our homeland again. And finally, on May the 14th, 1948, the United Nations recognized the free and independent state of Israel. For the past 65 years, they've been battling just to exist. I'm proud as an American to say that our former president, Harry S. Truman, was the first head of state to recognize Israel as a free and independent state. I believe that's one reason why God has so richly blessed America during this time. In the past six or seven years, we've seen an aliyah. An aliyah is when you have a mass migration of people, Jews in this case, going back to their homeland, the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, you gotta, you got to like that right there. You got milk and honey. <laughs> It's the land flowing with milk and honey, bless God. And these Jews are going from all over the world back to the land of their forefathers. What about the character of these last days? We see the commencement 
But what about the character? Well, the character, if you're still in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we just read on, beginning in verse number 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, ever learning, it says, and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. You ever heard of that? Does that seem familiar to you? Is that not, does, does that not describe the day in which we're living? I believe it does. I believe it does. It also says that there would be evil men and seducers that would wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Today we live in a day of deception. The greatest deception this world will ever know will be when the Antichrist rises on the scene after the rapture of the church. After the church has been taken away, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says there's going to be a man come onto the scene that will enter into a covenant treaty with Israel. Do you realize that 65 years ago that would have been impossible because Israel didn't have a country? They didn't have a government. Who would the Antichrist have entered into a treaty with? That's how close we are to the time of the rapture. We're living in the last days of the last days. You have evil men as seducers, this evil man here who believes that uh, the United States is, is preventing the coming of Mahdi. Do you know who Mahdi is? Mahdi is a Muslim messiah, one who will convert the world into Islam. If you study Mahdi and you study the Antichrist of the Bible, they're identical. They speak of the same individual, in my opinion. We're living in a day where people want bigger and better bombs and bigger weapons of mass destruction. And some, if they had them, would use them. We're living in a day where people are accusing one another. For instance, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad at the United Nations uh, just a few, couple of years ago, he accused the United States of, uh, of human rights violations. Now think about that. And then he said that Israel ought to be wiped off the map. Now, the madman from the Middle East, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, let me ask you something, uh, Mr. President, former president now. What about the human rights of this 16-year-old teenager buried up into her neck and then stoned to death by men because she fell in love with a boy that wasn't arranged by mom and dad? See, under Sharia law, that's, that's common practice. Well, what about the rights of this little Muslim girl beaten by her father under Sharia law because he can I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. You know, I love my wife. The last thing I'd ever want to do to my wife would be hurt her. I love my children. The last thing I'd ever want to do would be hurt them. Hamas has vowed never to recognize the state of Israel. Hamas. They're the ones that control the Gaza Strip. They're the ones that shoot rockets into southern Israel whenever they get the check. They are a terrorist organization. And the United States sent them about $90 million last year. I got a problem with that. I don't know if Britain's sending them money or not, but the United States is. Sometimes we do the same things. 
Not always the smart things. You see, in Hamas, and you're talking about the Palestinian group. Now, and that's, I have a problem with the word Palestinian because it was never given to the Arabs. It was given by the Romans to the Jews as a slur word. It originates from the word Philistine. And the Romans called Jews Palestinians just to make them mad. Be like calling you know, a person a slur word. They, they take Mickey Mouse lookalike, a Mickey Mouse lookalike, calling Farfur, and they teach Palestinian children how to take an AK-47, pick it up, and shoot and kill Jews. The world was outraged when they found this out. How dare they take Mickey Mouse and teach children to kill Jews with a Russian assault weapon? They finally yielded to the pressure Stays in assassination, killed off Farfur. They said this man right here was a Jew killing Farfur to steal his land. They replaced Farfur with Nahul, a bumblebee. And then they killed him off and replaced him with a suit, a Bugs Bunny lookalike. And here's the thing nobody's complaining anymore. Folks, it's not the mouse. It's the message that we ought to be complaining about. How dare they teach children to take a Quran in one hand, a gun in another, and go out and kill innocent people? But that's what's being taught. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Israel has been forced to defend its own right to exist. And by the way, that ought not surprise us because Moses wrote that Israel would be a people that would dwell alone and not be reckoned among the nations. My friend, whenever something goes wrong in the Middle East, it's always the Jews' fault, always Israel's fault. I'm glad that Gershon Solomon here, head of the temple faithful, has been working diligently to get support to build a third temple you see, during the tribulation period, Israel will have reinstituted sacrificial worship. Today, they are already training priests to do the work in the temple services once they rebuild the temple and begin to sacrifice according to the Torah again. They're already beginning to, to uh, make their garments to be worn as, as uh, rabbis and priests. I could take you to the Temple Institute. And you could see at the Temple Institute the different furnishings that have already been rebuilt for the temple worship services. These are not replicas. These are actual working models that they're going to use. That right there, my friend, is a, is a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And that's real gold that's overlaid that gopher wood. Well, they've even built or reconstructed the male teclet, the Kohanga doll. This is the, the very expensive garment that will be placed over the shoulders of the high priest. And I got excited when I saw this because this garment may be very well placed over the shoulders of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, when he sits upon the throne of his father David. You say, well, I don't like Jews. Well, they only make up less than one half of 1% of the world's population but they've won 33% of the Nobel Prizes, by the way. 
God said in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Nothing can be more true when you look at the accomplishments and the achievements and contributions of the Jewish people. Listen, folks, if you don't like Jews, the next time you go to a dentist, don't you dare take a shot of Novocaine because that was developed by a Jew. If you go to get an operation, if you don't like Jews, don't take anesthesia because that was developed by a Jew. If you don't like Jews, then don't use your uh, your, uh, your your computers uh, that has a central processing uh, uh, component in it because that was developed by a Jew. If you don't like Jews, my friends, next time you go to a shopping uh, mart, don't use a, a a shopping cart, you know, because a shopping cart was actually an invention of a Jew. And if you don't like Jews... Uh, <laughs> Don't use the remote control on your TV. Where would we be without a remote control? When I was a child growing up, I was the remote control. My daddy would say, son, go change the channel. And I'd go change the channel. Son, go change it. Thank God we only had three channels when I was growing up. Today they got 150 without a remote control. That'd be tough. The three stooges, all Jews. Isn't that interesting? So many things that the Jews have done. Uh, even the Barbie doll was a Jewish invention. We ought to uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem because of these days in which we live. That's what Psalm 122.6 says. Sha'alu shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. What's the commandment? Very quickly, the commandment's very simple. There's only one. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. That's Jew and Gentile both. Amen. We have that responsibility as children of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, when you think about that, you think about an American football game. They have what's called a two-minute warning. At the end of the half and the end of the game, with two minutes to go in the game, they call a timeout. Everyone huddles and gets ready because <clears throat> at that point, they know time's running out. Whatever you're going to do needs to be done quickly. Can I say, church, God has given us a two-minute warning. Whatever we're going to do, we need to get it done quickly. What time is it? Well, it's time for believers to wake up. Paul said, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Why? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. When I played, uh, I played college football for Marshall University, right after the plane crash, 1970, and uh, they made a movie called We Are Marshall. It's about the plane crash and the football program being carried on afterwards. My wife and I got married <clears throat> my sophomore year. I got married on a Friday and started football practice on Monday. And um, after a couple of weeks of football practice and being married, my wife woke up in the middle of the night screaming. I looked and blood was pouring out of her nose and I what happened? She said, you hit me. I said, I, what? you hit me. While we were there in, in bed at night and you were asleep, you hit me. And, and, you know, I love my wife. I wouldn't hurt my wife or anything. But I was asleep. And I hurt her. Christians, if you're asleep spiritually, you can hurt someone and not even know it. And that's why Paul says, wake up. Because now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. What time is it? It's time 
uh, for believers to witness. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day for the night cometh when no man can work. And that's what we ought to be doing. What time is it? It's time for sinners to be one. Now's the accepted time. If you're not saved, now's the day of salvation. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. No one does. I want to end with this picture. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture or not, but when I saw this picture in a magazine, it really spoke to my heart. Look at it. You see what I see? You see a child who's starving, whose ribs are showing. This child is from Somalia. Helpless. Hopeless. That's a buzzard waiting for that child to die so that it can pounce on the child. When I saw that picture, I thought, that's the world. This girl represents the world to me. You see, the world is helpless and hopeless and hell-bound. And if somebody doesn't help them, Satan will pounce on them. The moment they draw their last breath, Satan will have them. You see that picture? The guy who took this photograph, Kevin Carter, South African, won a a Pulitzer Prize, Nobel Prize for this picture, for his photography. He was given accolades by all his peers and pats on the back, and he's given a big trophy, and oh, what a wonderful photographer you are. And, 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 and he listened to all of that, and less than a year later, Kevin Carter took his own life, committed suicide because he was haunted by this, this picture right here. And the fact he did nothing to help that little girl. And it haunted him. Listen, Christians, if you know someone who's lost, whatever you're going to do, you need to do it now. You don't want to spend eternity saying, I wish I would have. Their blood will be on your hand. But even worse than that, they will be in hell. And and by the way, If you know Jewish people, you've got to give them the gospel. You see, the greatest act of anti-Semitism is to withhold the gospel from the Jew. That'd be a terrible thing. Bow your heads with me, please. Pastor, I don't know how you run your invitations, so I'm going to turn this over to you shortly. Before your pastor comes and gives the invitation, is there someone here today who would lift up their hand? No one's looking around. We're not here trying to embarrass anyone. Is there someone that would lift up their hand and by that say, Preacher, I've never been saved. I know I need to be saved. Would you remember me in prayer? Just lift your hand up so I might remember to pray for you. Anyone at all? Preacher, I've never been saved saved. I know I need to be saved. Pray for me. I'm like that little girl in that photograph. I've, I'm helpless and hopeless and hell bound. 
I don't want to die and go to hell. Pray for me, anyone at all. There's someone here today who would lift up their hand and say, God spoke to my heart about an area of my life. I haven't been living and doing exactly what he wants me to do, and I'd like for you to remember me in prayer. I want to pray for you today. Is there someone like that? God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. I see that hand. God spoke to me today. Please remember me in prayer. Anyone else, pray for me that I'll be all that God would have me to be. Folks, I I hope and pray that you'll be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit today and, and that you'll take care of praying as God has impressed upon your heart to do so. I want to pray for you now. Father, I pray, Lord, you'll have your way in the hearts and lives of these who raised their hand. And Lord, if there's one here that's never been saved, I pray, Lord, that you would show them their need of a Savior and draw them under yourself. And Father, I pray for those that, who have raised their hand that, that you might strengthen their faith and that, Father, that your word would become real to them and they'll put shoe leather to it, their God, and apply it to their everyday life. Have your way in this, this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <music> 